two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 386. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Let's jump in. I don't want to waste any time. We'll talk about Monday Night Football first. On Monday Night Football, the Green Bay Packers beat the Detroit Lions 35-17. to And uh, first of all, let's just say this. The Packers are totally fine. Uh, they lost week one. Everybody panicked. Not everybody, but a lot of people. I saw crazy hot takes out there, and a lot of hot takes I didn't understand happened last week where people suddenly bailed on Aaron Rodgers. You know, he had one bad game, and suddenly he's a terrible quarterback, and he's thinking about retiring, and his mindset's all wrong. And I feel like the same people who said he was fine all year suddenly flipped on him, and it was very weird. Remember, the guy won the MVP last year, and I, I don't know. Uh, concern after week one is fine. Like, totally, I'm, I'm cool with that. But the proclamations that suddenly he's over and it's going to be horrible this year, it was a bit extreme. And it, I, the media tends to do that. People love to jump to one extreme or the other. And clearly we saw on Monday night that, <laughs> nah, it's all good. There's nothing to worry about. The, the Packers are actually totally fine. Um, Aaron Rodgers with 22 for 27 passing for 255 yards, four passing touchdowns. He literally only had one bad decision all game where he forced to throw in a triple coverage to Devontae Adams. Got lucky that wasn't picked off. Devontae had to knock the ball away. But, yeah, like, you get one bad play every game. I'm fine with that. No worries there. Uh, he also threw a couple of amazing throws that only Aaron Rodgers can make. He had, a, a, like, a seam ball down the, you know, down the middle of the field to Robert Tanyan for a touchdown, like, into a perfectly tiny little window. It was pinpoint accuracy. That's an incredible throw. He also had a throw down the right sideline. Beautiful ball to Devontae Adams. Detroit played man-to-man coverage. Aaron Rodgers made them pay. Like, I, look, whether you like Aaron, you hate Aaron on the field, people, he's very polarizing. Um, I think we all can agree, like, he's fun to watch play football. He's an incredible quarterback. He's very, very talented. I think one of the, one of the, if not the best thrower of the football we've ever seen in the history of the NFL. And it was a very typical Aaron Rodgers game. He was outstanding. I actually thought he could have had five touchdowns. He had a throw... Late in the fourth quarter, he barely missed Marquez Valdez-Scantling uh, deep downfield at the end of the fourth quarter. Again, uh, I, I like, man, that's how good Aaron was. He he missed a fifth touchdown. Like, whenever you're having a day like that where you could have had another one and you're dominating, you're, you're having a great day. Uh, shout out to Aaron Jones, the Packers running back. He had four touchdowns, one rushing. He also caught three touchdowns. Uh, and then Randall Cobb. Randall Cobb is a guy the Packers brought into appease Aaron Rodgers and make him happy. Aaron insisted he would make their team better. And today, you know, tonight it really paid off. Tonight, last night, whatever. I'm recording the night of. You guys are going to hear this the morning, uh, the next morning. Randall Cobb had a catch in a key moment on third and 14. And it was a smart veteran play where Aaron caught Detroit with too many men on the field on defense. And, you know, Randall Cobb, instead of running vertical, made a heads-up play, found a window underneath, you know, around the you know, 13, 14 yards, Caught the ball, fell for a first down. Veteran savvy play. And I think that connection, like little moments like that are where that connection is going to pay off. And bringing in Randall Cobb is going to have that kind of effect where it's not going to be massive. I don't think Randall Cobb is going to have 1,000 yards receiving and lead the NFL in touchdown passes, nothing like that. But the culture he brings to the locker room, the, the attitude and the way he impacts the culture, let me, let me you know, clarify there. And then also his ability to make key plays in – really intense moments on third down throughout the year. We'll see a couple third downs this year, whether it's week eight, week 11, week 14, who knows, but we'll see like 
three, four, five, six, seven plays this year that Randall Cobb makes a key catch on third down. And that's how he's going to have an impact this year, I believe, for the Green Bay Packers. Uh, now, one thing that did concern me about the Packers was that Green Bay was really not able to generate any pressure on the Detroit Lions quarterback, Jared Goff. And the question was, for me, is the Lions offensive line really good? Or is the Packers pass rush just really weak? And I was hoping the 2019 first round pick Rashawn Gary would make an impact in this game. He really didn't. He had two quarterback hits, zero sacks. Uh, Jared Goff had time for days in the pocket. Like he just, he was sitting back there forever, just waiting, 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 extending plays, keeping play, keeping plays alive. Uh, I want to give a shout out to the Lions left tackle, Panay Sewell. He was the number seven overall pick in the draft earlier this year. The dude is 20 years old, the youngest player in the entire NFL, starting at left tackle for the Lions. And uh, they tried him at right tackle during the preseason. That did not quite work. It wasn't a good fit there. He's great on the left side, though. I think naturally his body, you know, there is a thing where you just feel more comfortable on one side. He seems to be that kind of guy. And in two games, Panay Sewell has been dominant as a rookie left tackle. Not a right tackle, but a left tackle on that left side. He's been fantastic. Fun to watch there. Unfortunately, Jared Goff, uh, the Lions' new quarterback, man, um, he legitimately had a great first half. Jared Goff had, you know, the Lions had the ball four times in the first half. They scored on three of their four drives. Jared Goff looked, early in this game, looked really, really good. He had two touchdowns, including a beautiful throw in the back corner of the left side of the end zone uh, to tight end TJ Hawkinson. Just a great throw on a, like a wheel route into the end zone. But in the second half, Jared Goff wilted and really, really struggled. It's really frustrating because he had two fumbles. Uh, he fumbled a snap in the rain, which under center. I guess it can happen, but like you have to practice that. And then the ball fell out of his hands when he was throwing the ball. It was a third and third and two or third and three. I can't remember. Third down, key play late in the game, and he was pulling the ball back to throw, and it just fell out of his hands. And it was wet. I get it. Like I, in fact, that's happened to me before, right? At practice, it happens occasionally, but still, it's like. Jared Goff, like this can't happen in a key moment. And, and then later in the fourth quarter, Jared Goff had a, geez, an ugly, frustrating interception where he was extending a play. He should have just thrown the ball away out of bounds and instead he forced it into coverage through a really bad interception. And the word that comes to mind for that is it was inexcusable. Like that's an interception you cannot throw late in the fourth quarter down 18 points. And it's sad because in this game, we saw both good Jared Goff and bad Jared Goff. We saw what he's capable of in the first half. I mean, the Lions even had a lead at the end of half, you know, at the end of the first half. At halftime, the Lions were up 17 to 14, and Jared Goff was on a roll. Literally was playing a perfect game up until that point. And then in the second half, it fell off the rails. And it's it's so frustrating because I feel like the Lions really are making progress. And I, I have no doubt that his former coach, Sean McVay, the head coach of the Rams, was sitting at home watching this game or even hearing about this game feeling really good about trading him away. Like Jared Goff has an opportunity this year to prove everybody that the Rams have made a mistake. And so far, especially Monday Night Football, national TV against the Green Bay Packers on the road, you can't make the mistakes he made and, and prove anybody wrong. And what's even more frustrating about Jared Goff's mistakes is that, you know, he fumbled the snap. He threw a bad interception. He fumbled on that key. It was third and three. It's in my notes here. Third and three, ball fell out of his hand. And what's even more crazy, like, you can't blame the offensive line. It's one thing if there was pressure in his face, like a hit as he threw, or and maybe the ball got tipped and got picked off. Like, no, it was literally all Jared Goff. And it's like, it's like, aha, the Lions, man. Like, the Lions are making progress. They were in this game, and they led Green Bay at halftime. 
And two weeks in a row, like the Lions have put up a fight. They almost, you know, they played really well against the 49ers week one. They now have played the Green Bay Packers really well in week two, two teams that are playoff teams. And I just wonder what would have happened if Jared Goff hadn't fallen apart in the second half. Like, I don't know the Lions could beat the Green Bay Packers, but it would have been way more fun, way more interesting. They certainly would not have lost by 18 points. And I just wonder if the Lions can get better quarterback play, whether that is Jared Goff getting better or they end up drafting someone else to replace him. And then if the Lions can add another impact player or two here and there, like this is a team that has the ability to win a lot of football games. They're close to winning. They got the right coaching staff. They are competitive. They're fighting hard. But when you see Jared Goff make mistake after mistake in the second half, and there were little things like they, you know, they, uh, gosh, they were trying to substitute when the Packers were not, and they got caught a couple times. And it's little things like that. They had a key penalty where they had the Packers in first and 20, and the Lions get called for a penalty. It gives the Packers an automatic first time. Like little plays like that add up very quickly. And that's kind of the difference between the Packers and the Lions right now. But I don't think it's an 18-point gap the way that it really showed at the end of this game. I think if Jared Goff doesn't fall apart, and even if they have a couple mistakes like they did, they don't lose by 18 points. It should have been a game where Aaron Rodgers was forced to make a play at the end of the game. And unfortunately, they couldn't do that. But I really, like, man, I just think this Lions team right now is capable of way more than they are showing. And they're definitely underachieving, in my opinion. So, I don't know. Jared Goff holding back the Lions... Not a surprise. That's kind of what my predictions reflected for the Lions this year is that they're going to be a interesting, decent team that's solid that will be held back by their quarterback. And so far, uh, unfortunately, like I'm not rooting for that. I want Jared Goff to do well. But unfortunately, that is what has played out through the first two games of the NFL season. Uh, Now let's talk about Peyton and Eli Manning. They give this long, clunky name. It's like Monday Night Football with... Peyton and Eli, I don't know why they don't just call it uh, Manning Mondays, which would have been way more like MM, Manning Mondays, ESPN, Monday Night Football. Uh, I love it. Uh, It's a lot of entertainment. You should watch it if you want to. It's great insight. It's on ESPN2, simulcast during the regular broadcast. It's way more commentary. Um, I, I will say, though, tonight I discovered a weakness of this broadcast where, like, for example, let me compare it to Joe Rogan's show. Joe Rogan's podcast will have a guest on the show. And the guest has every incentive to bring their best to that podcast, right? They are trying to sell a book or they're trying to grow their social media following or, you know, any, it's like they're being introduced to a new national audience that could get to know the small person and grow what they're doing. So anybody who comes on Joe Rogan's podcast puts their best foot forward. And unfortunately with Monday Night Football and Peyton and Eli have guests on their show, there's no incentive like... Rob Gronkowski came on and was just very boring and uninteresting and clearly like admitted he doesn't watch film and had no commentary. And Brett Favre came on after they tried the whole first half to get Brett Favre on. He finally came on in the beginning of the third quarter and was just not very interesting and kind of seemed bored. And it's clearly like these are people who have no incentive to give their best effort. And I just wonder, like, I don't know. It's Like, first of all, the reason why I do my show alone is because it's really hard to rely on other people to not only show up and do good work, but also even just to care as much as you do. Like, I'm recording this at 10.46 p.m. on a Monday night, and I I just know that other people are not willing to make that happen and move their schedule around and willing to record as much as humanly possible. So, like, Russell Wilson week one with the Manning brothers was really, really great. Gronk week two was not. He wasn't as into it. And 
I think the lesson here is Peyton and Eli do not need guests to make a really good segment or a good broadcast, and they shouldn't force it. If they want to have guests on, great. They might be able to add to the show. But if they're going to bring on guests, they make sure, need to make sure they bring on guests. Like I think Russell Wilson was trying to show, hey, I could broadcast when I retire. And Russell Wilson last week was putting his best foot forward. And if you're going to bring people on, make sure that they're hungry and trying to show something good and are invested in making a good broadcast rather than just kind of hanging out because their agent told them to be here and BSing and not really adding anything to the broadcast. So I don't know, man. Uh, otherwise, another great broadcast. I really love listening to the Manning Brothers. It's really fantastic. And uh, I just think that it's the best way to watch Monday Night Football, even if the guests kind of held it back in week two. But I do also think that, like, Peyton Manning is very attentive to detail. He's very, very good at self-scouting. He'll watch and listen and say, uh, yeah, we're never bringing Gronk on again. We're never doing this or that. And he will adjust. I, I believe in Peyton Manning's ability to adjust and make the broadcast better as it goes. And I don't know, man, just a good time. And those are my thoughts from the, the entire broadcast of Monday Night Football, from Aaron Rodgers, the Detroit Lions, and then even the Manning brothers. I'm going to take a short break. Now it is, so it's now 10.48 p.m. on Monday night. Uh, it's in an hour and 12 minutes. It's 6 a.m. on the East Coast. This first topic about the Packers and um, Lions will come out on YouTube. But then I'm going to actually go to bed after this record the rest of the podcast when I wake up the next morning. So the show will not come out until like Tuesday afternoon at, you know, at night on the West coast and the East coast. Uh, but I also, the other reason I need to cut here is because for the next segment, I have to put on a, on a Jersey. So I'm going to go to bed. I will come back tomorrow. We will finish the show in a minute. It'll be seconds for you. It'll be like seven hours for me. It'll be like 30 seconds for you. But also the next segment, I will be wearing a Jersey. So look forward to that. My name is Ak Shomler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see that I am doing something I have never done before on the show. I'm wearing an NFL jersey. And I'm doing that because uh, um, we have to have a tough conversation. And I'm wearing my Tua jersey to show that I love Tua. And I'm a huge fan. This is the only NFL jersey I own. And I hope that Tua is an NFL Hall of Famer. Like, I really, really love that dude. I want to see him succeed. Uh, and let me be clear. This is not my final judgment. I am not saying Tua is a bust. This is a – it's like a work in progress. I'm saying this is how things are going so far. But so far, in one year and two NFL games, unfortunately, Tua's NFL career has been a disappointment to this point. And now a couple things have worked against him. Uh, going into his rookie year, he did not have a full, real NFL offseason because of the Rona, and things got all screwed up, and training camp wasn't normal. And remember, he was also coming off of an injury last year. And then his offensive line is just not very good. I watched that Buffalo game, and he got sacked twice in the opening drive in week two. Then he got injured on the second drive, got just nailed in the ribs. And it does make me wonder, by the way, was picking receiver Jalen Waddell Instead of a left tackle, Panay Sewell, was that the right move? I don't know. But I, I want to be clear, like, it's not all to his fault, right? He's had some weird circumstances. He's been injured. He's got a bad offensive line. But also, I watch Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert every single week, and they're outshining Tua. Like, they were also rookies last year, and they're way better and doing way better things in the NFL. And... They had the same offseason that Tua had because of the Rona, and they have been much more successful. 
They were the unquestioned starters of their football teams last year. Tua had to split time with Ryan Fitzpatrick. I love Tua. That's weird. And the brutal reality is that Miami picked Tua number five overall, and they probably should have picked Justin Herbert, who went number six overall to L.A. It's not hopeless. I thought that Tua showed progress during the preseason. And to be clear, I would have got it wrong. I would have picked Tua over Justin Herbert. I would have, like, if we can go back, I still probably, I mean, I would pick Justin Herbert if I could go back in time. But at the time of the draft last year, I was all in on Tua. I loved him. I thought he was going to be awesome. I got a jersey. Like, I really love the guy. And it's a tough pill to swallow. And the only positive thing I can offer if you're a Tua fan is that Justin Herbert can run around and make athletic plays and Tua can't. And that sounds negative, but then you realize, well, Tua's play style is more precision and accuracy. And, you know, he, his ceiling is a, a Drew Brees-style quarterback. And that takes time. Like, mastering the NFL and becoming Drew Brees is not going to happen in one year and two games. It's going to take a long time for him to get to that level. And unfortunately, I, I still got to say, though, like, progress report is that it's not gone well. I look at other quarterbacks that are his age or older. Josh Allen destroyed Miami last week. And gosh, uh, it's Sam Darnold looks good. And I know he was drafted before him, but it's like uh, we've been waiting and waiting. And it, we're a year and two games in, and it's not going well. Joe Burrow looks amazing. Justin Herbert is a guy. Gosh, he's so good. And Tua hasn't shown that once yet. And so while I love the guy, I also have to give an honest you know, update, which is that Tua's career so far has been very, very disappointing. All right, um, I'm going to take a short break. I'm going to take off the jersey. Up next, we will do Ask Zach. I, I, I feel like that's going to make people angry, and I'm sorry. Uh, it is true, though. Like, Tua so far has been a disappointment as an NFL quarterback. I'm going to take a short break. When I return to Ask Zach, uh, I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. It is now time for my favorite part of the show, Ask Zach. It's where... Uh, I answer questions from the audience. In case you do not know how it works, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. You give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want to. Please do. It literally helps pay my rent. But a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. Now, uh, if you submit a question, I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. My only guarantee is I look at every single question with my eyeballs and I pick the top couple to read on the show. We got a lot of them today. Let's start with the ham man. He says, as a Seahawks fan, I am very big sad. And that, not much more than to that, uh, but he's, you know, let, let's go backwards because in week two, Seattle lost in overtime to the Tennessee Titans. They're now one and one. And the ham man, I wouldn't be big sad yet. I would wait 10 more weeks, then see where they're at. Uh, I, I'm really curious to see where Seattle will be down the road, like in November and December Seattle has so many weird games because they rely so heavily on their quarterback, Russell Wilson, to, frankly, like rescue them and carry them in bad situations. So the next 10 games for Seattle are at Minnesota, at the 49ers, then they play the Rams at home, they play at Pittsburgh, then they play the Saints, they play the Jaguars, that should be a victory against the Jacksonville Jaguars, hopefully, man, that's one that's got to be a gimme. Then they play at Green Bay, then they play Arizona, then they play at Washington, and then week 13, they play the 49ers again, this time at home. And so my fear is that 10 more games into the year, Seattle could be four and eight. I think maybe six and six or seven and five is a pretty, like seven and five is a very good goal to be week 13, seven and five for Seattle. I think given the 
team they have around Russell Wilson. I had them going six and eleven this year. I, I think I, I worry they could be even three and nine after week thirteen, but we'll see. Uh, they certainly like you can't undervalue how much Russell Wilson can impact his football team and carry them in a bad game. But the Rams have a better team. Pittsburgh has a better roster. Green Bay is a better football team. Arizona looks really good. Washington, I think, has a good defense that'll chase Russell Wilson all over the place. I think the question you have to ask is how many games will Seattle play where they have the better quarterback? And most games, Seattle will have the better quarterback. In fact, every game. The only game Seattle could play where they do not have a better quarterback would be against Kansas City. That'd be an incredible football game. I think last time they played, it was like 31-38, something like that. I mean, there's just a... And someone looked that up. I think, I think I'm right. I got a really good memory for this kind of weird crap. Look that up. Is that right where... Last time Kansas City played Seattle was at 38 to 31. Um, but yeah, I think that I just, I, I'm really, Seattle is so fascinating to me. They're going to be really good or really bad or somewhere in the middle. I guess that's every possibility, but I, I don't know where I land yet on Seattle. I think I just worry about them and I think it's unsustainable for them to continue to believe that Russell Wilson will bail them out of every bad situation they could potentially run into. Okay, Andrew writes in and he says, I'm afraid for Zach Wilson. Throwing four picks is devastating for his second start. I hope he doesn't end up like Sam Darnold did. And then Piers writes in, he says, I want to know, is the Pats defense good or Zach Wilson just a mess? So um, I said this during the noteworthy eight. I want to double down on this. Is that Zach Wilson's a rookie quarterback playing on a bad Jets team against a really good New England Patriots football team. Also playing against Bill Belichick, who is known for destroying young quarterbacks. Remember last year, Bill Belichick beat Justin Herbert and the Chargers 45-0. to zero. So it's not uncommon for young quarterbacks to play really, really bad and have a bad game against Justin Her- against, geez, against Bill Belichick. Remember, the seeing ghosts game that Sam Darnold had was against Bill Belichick. He eats young Jets quarterbacks for lunch. And so I just honestly, I, I don't know what people expected. Did people think the Jets were going to beat the Patriots? Did people think Zach Wilson was going to have a great day against Bill Belichick's defense, who, again, always is incredibly brutal against young quarterbacks? I just didn't understand why people were so shocked by that. Yeah, was it a bad performance? Absolutely. But I, I just like, eh, I don't know. Come on, guys. It was horrible. He, he played terrible. But that was expected, I thought. John writes in, he says, this isn't about the NFL, but college football. Is it just me or is DJ Uyunglele been way less impressive than expected. Yeah, uh, DJ Uyunglele has been very, very disappointing for Clemson. Uh, he's big, he's 6'4", 250, but that's about it. Like, he doesn't throw a great ball. His spiral is, like, not it's not like a beautiful spiral. Um, his attention to detail has been really, really weak, and they've got the same offensive coordinators last year. Like, he's not Trevor Lawrence. That's very clear. And I wonder, like, is DJ an NFL quarterback? I thought he was. And I, I, what I've seen so far through the first couple of weeks of college football is that he he's getting really, really outshined by so many other quarterbacks throughout college football. And he's been very disappointing. It's early on. It's his first year as a full-time starter. But yeah, DJ Uyunglele has been not good <laughs> through the first couple of weeks of college football. Brandon writes in, he says, hey, Zach, I'm absolutely in shambles about being an Atlanta Falcons fan. I was in boot camp when Atlanta went to the Super Bowl. Thank you for your service. And honestly, that was probably best so I didn't have to watch the game live and be disappointed with the other Falcons fans worldwide. I'm the 1% of Falcons fans that believe Matt Ryan isn't the problem and it's poor defense and play calling. Do you think if Matt Ryan can squeeze out another two or three years and be a top five quarterback in passing yards and touchdowns, he will be a Hall of Fame quarterback along with a Super Bowl appearance and an MVP? Thanks for all the content. So yeah, 
Can Matt Ryan get to the Hall of Fame? I don't know. Uh, here's what I do know I want from Matt Ryan. I want Matt Ryan to get saved. I want him out of Atlanta. They're rebuilding. They don't seem to ha- be able to put a good team around him. Uh, and I, I, my dream fantasy land is like, man, imagine if Matt Ryan took a pay cut and went to Pittsburgh to replace Big Ben next year. Or maybe he goes to Washington. Or, or maybe Tua doesn't work out and Matt Ryan goes to Miami. I mean, I, Matt Ryan's a really good quarterback with a horrible organization. And a terrible football team around him. And I just, I think Matt Ryan is akin to Matthew Stafford. And we saw the one time Matthew, Matt Ryan got a really good team around him. I got to sneeze. One second. Oh, big sneeze. The one time Matt Ryan got a good team around him, he won an MVP, went to a Super Bowl, had a lead 25 or 28 to 3. Like, it's not like he is a terrible quarterback. He needs help. As every quarterbacker on the NFL needs help. Like, there's a reason why Tom Brady... Went to the Buccaneers, who had an incredible receiving core, a good defense, a good coach. Like, every quarterback needs help if they want to win, except for, like, Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes. They just seemed like they can do it. And now, helping them gets you a Super Bowl. Like, you can do even better if you give a great quarterback like that help. But I just want to see Matt Ryan go to a good football team. If he was in Pittsburgh, it'd be incredible. If he was in Washington with a great defense and Terry McLaurin, it'd be amazing to see. Miami's building something. I think they have a bad offensive line. I wouldn't wish that on Matt Ryan. But my point is that I think Matt Ryan needs to go somewhere where he can win and put money to his side. Say, hey, I'll take a pay cut. I don't care. I just don't want to end my career looking horrible, having a great, you know, having a, a great career ruined by a terrible organization. Matt Ryan needs to get out of Atlanta. He should make that happen. He can make that happen. And I'd love to see him uh, demand a trade or take a pay cut to leave, whatever it takes. But I want Matt Ryan out of Atlanta. Davis writes in and says, Hi, Zach. Colts fan here. Do I hit this panic button now or wait till next week? Thanks. <laughs> Don't panic. Uh, like, I think the Colts are still a year away from their Super Bowl window anyway. Like, it was unrealistic for anybody to think the Colts were going to win a Super Bowl in year one with Carson Wentz. Like, it's going to take some time. Uh, the good news is that Carson Wentz looks really, really good. Now, can he stay healthy? Yikes. I don't know. <laughs> That's a big concern. But uh, the next three games are tough for the Colts. They play at Tennessee, at Miami, and then at Baltimore. The Titans, the Dolphins, the Ravens. The Colts need to go two and one in the next couple games because they cannot, like, they have to start at two and three minimum. You, you start the year two and three, that's salvageable and survivable. But you can't go, what, you know, one and four, oh and five to start the year. So the Colts have to win their next couple games against some solid football teams. I think they can. But the key, obviously, is Carson Wentz. But again, remember, let go. You're not going to win Super Bowl. Davis, you're not going to win an NFL title this year. Let it go. It's okay. This year is about growth and building for next year when I think your Super Bowl window will open. So, uh, yeah, just feel free to, like, let go of the Super Bowl this year. Just have a good time. Focus on progress. If you do that, that's a realistic goal. And I think you'll have a much better time watching your favorite team this year. Carl writes in. He says... Are the officials <laughs> are officials actually employees of the NFL, or are they agents of chaos released from Arkham Asylum to F with us? It's been awful, man. Uh, I hate the new taunting rule. I think it's the, one of the worst things that happened in football in a long time. I, I get it that the league wants to... The NFL, in my opinion, I think the reason why they created the new taunting rule is they're so worried about players saying something offensive to each other. They just muzzled everyone. They saw what happened with... Um, Mason Rudolph and Miles Garrett a couple years ago, and we're like, we don't want that kind of situation to happen where 
the story gets off the field and the story becomes about what this player said to that player. And I think they're so afraid of controversy and so afraid of, like, clearly they don't trust other players to not say offensive stuff to each other. I mean, that's just the truth. And uh, because of that, it muzzled everyone. And I, I get it. Like, the NFL needs to protect themselves, and I get it. They don't want racial controversy in their league at all. But um, I also think that taunting is part of what makes football fun. Like, you can't celebrate a good play. You make a great stop. Seattle against Tennessee was brutal. The corner made a great play, knocked the ball away. Sansa goes, yeah! And they throw a flag. Like, he can't celebrate his accomplishment. It's very frustrating to watch. And, uh, like, the pendulum, it always swings one way and then way too far the other way. And right now, it's way too far the other way saying players have to be robots and can't even have any emotion or enjoy anything they do on the football field. Caleb writes in, he says, Nice for the Panthers to be 2-0, but sadly we can't see how good they are until they play the Cowboys in Week 4. I hope their first wins build momentum for their tough December and January schedule. Yeah, so they do have a tough schedule later in the year, but after like the Cowboys, it does open up. I mean, the Panthers have a really, really winnable schedule for like the first long while. I mean, they could start seven and one or, you know, six and two or eight and two or eight and one. Like they, they really do have an opportunity here to win a lot of games down the stretch. The the Panthers do. And so also if you start three, you know, you beat Houston on Thursday night, take the wins, be happy, just enjoy it. A three, and zero start is progress. It's a great season so far. Um, like, the Panthers are not a bottom five football team. They are a good football team making progress. Things are changing. Sam Darnold looks good. Um, like, yeah, you, we don't know how good they really are till week four, but I, I don't think, like, they're not, a, like, sorry, but Carolina's not a Super Bowl team. They're a team that's in a building phase right now. However, it's still fun. It's still enjoyable, and they're doing good stuff, so I just would enjoy what they are and, um, like, lower your expectations a little bit, but just enjoy, like, their victories. Like, 3-0, 2-0 right now, that, that's a good season so far, and one of the better ones they've had in a long, long time in Carolina. Carter writes in, it's a long one. Let me drink some water before we get to Carter's question. Carter says, I'm here to defend Zach. Well, thank you, Carter. He says, in reference to Jamar Chase, <laughs> as a Lions fan who watched the quarterback-wide receiver duo of a decade statistically, that's Matthew Stafford and Calvin Johnson, that isn't important. Uh, we went through 12 starting linemen in the Johnson-Stafford era and a horrid run game every season but one. If Burrow becomes the quick decision maker with an elite arm that Stafford is, your upside is 10 and 6 or 10 and 7 or 11 and 6 or 10 and 7. If they draft a tight end or a Nomic and Sue 2.0 next year, just delete the team. The one redeeming quality the Bengals have over the 2010s Lions is a great running back. But how long will that last? Joe Mixon. Stafford and Johnson went through 10 different running backs during their career and their time. Um, Carter, you're right about one thing. Star receivers do not win football games. We've seen that over and over again. Like, how many times have you seen, like, Larry Fitzgerald needed help to win. He could not win by himself. And even Larry Fitzgerald and Matt Leinart wasn't enough. Like, you need more than just a star receiver. And Calvin Johnson is the ultimate example of that. Like, you can have a great quarterback and a great receiver and not have a good season at all. And the Bengals, I will say, have a better coaching staff. I really, I think Zach Taylor, he's growing on me. Zach Taylor's better than I think any of the Bengals coaches ever uh, were in Detroit. Uh, and also, I, I will say, like, Panay Sewell, the Lions left tackle, looks outstanding. He's the youngest player in the NFL. He looks like a great left tackle. So I, I really wonder, 
did the Bengals, you know, Jamar Chase is fantastic and really helped him win week one. Had a touchdown two weeks in a row now. But I, I, I just, I don't know, man. I, I really wonder what will happen with... Um, I, Penay Sewell is going to be this guy we always look back on and say he was a great offensive lineman. Not only did the Bengals not draft, they also, uh, Miami screwed up and didn't draft him either. And Miami's got a bad offensive line right now. They could have drafted this incredible offensive lineman, the youngest guy in the league, potential Hall of Famer, Penay Sewell, didn't take him. And I'm not saying Penay Sewell is going to be a Hall of Famer, but he's really good. And you drafted Jalen Waddle. So I, I actually worry that Miami might have screwed up two picks in a row drafting, not only drafting Justin Herbert, not only drafting Tua instead of Justin Herbert. Like, they could have drafted Herbert. They didn't. Then they drafted Jalen Waddle over a incredible left tackle, Panay Sewell. So, Carter, I, yeah, you're right. Receivers do not win games. Miami and Cincinnati both decided to take a receiver over an offensive lineman. And we'll see if that works for them. I, I Actually, looking back, it made more sense for the Bengals to do that, who at least had two solid tackles, where Miami, I look at their offensive line, and I'm like, Oh, Jesus. Like, this is really bad. And your quarterback's hurt again, and Jalen Waddell ain't helping you win if your quarterback's on his back. Dylan writes in. Dylan has a question about the Bears. He says, what are your thoughts on the Bears throwing Justin Fields out to start after Dalton came back from his injury looking ready to play? It seems like Dalton looked okay and was walking around on the sideline, celebrating with teammates and having fun, but healthy and having fun meaning that Fields at most needed to operate a drive or two. Do you agree with letting him run the show for the rest of the entire game? I have my own thoughts on this, of course, but I was curious about yours. Thanks, Dylan. Yeah, uh, Justin Fields, in my opinion, gives the Bears the best opportunity to win football games. His ability to run is incredible. It's something that Andy Dalton simply cannot do. And you have to ask yourself, is your goal to win football games or protect Justin Fields? And, I, I, look, I would start Justin Fields week three against the Cleveland Browns because, again, I think he gives you your best opportunity to win football games. But uh, the Browns' defensive line is fantastic. Maybe they're afraid of Justin Fields getting injured or getting tons of pressure, ruining his confidence. And so if you want to wait to start Justin Fields until week four against the Lions, I understand that. But if the Bears really truly are trying to win football games, they need to put Justin Fields in as soon as possible. Okay, Bill writes in. Bill says, hey, Zach, I'm a Patriots fan and glad we got the win this weekend. Awesome. Uh, but I want to talk about Teddy Bridgewater. Can we just talk about how efficient this man has played these past two games? Granted, he's played the Giants and the Jaguars. But for someone who hasn't had action due to injury in a while, Teddy B seems to be settling in and makes me happy AF. They have the Jets next week, but after that, they have a few weeks of some really good teams, the Ravens, the Steelers, the Browns, etc., what do you think is going to be Teddy's and the Broncos' approach to such teams? Their approach. Uh, play good defense, run the ball, uh, have Teddy play a ball control style. Like, if the Bengals can't, sorry, if the, oh, I can't even talk. If the Broncos can keep other teams' offenses off the field because they run the ball well, they protect the football, they play good defense, uh, that's great. But I, I look at what Denver's doing right now. They have a 3-0 start, kind of the, the perfect scenario. And I think 3-0 because they play the Jets next week. I would be shocked. If the I think the the Broncos could beat the Jets with Drew Locke at quarterback, let alone Teddy Bridgewater, who's better. Uh, they have a chance to really build momentum, and uh, then by doing so, they can take the momentum they gain early in the year and the lessons they learned, clean up the mistakes. Because what you do is you get wins while you're 
you know, looking at film and cleaning up mistakes as you go. So the Broncos will be a better football team week four than they are right now. And so that'll give them a better shot against the Ravens, the Steelers, the Browns, better football teams once they, you know, look at the, they can win games while cleaning up mistakes. So I I just think that, uh, and also I got to say this, you know, I heard head coach Vic Fangio talk about uh, drafting Patrick Sertan instead of Teddy Bridgewater. He said that it's more rare to find a great corner than it is to find a quarterback these days. And I think he's kind of right. I look at, there are star college quarterbacks everywhere and young guys want to play quarterback. They don't want to play corner at all. So uh, Patrick Sertan, I'm feeling better about the pick the more I see Teddy Bridgewater do well. And uh, is he the guy long-term? I don't know. But if it's not Teddy Bridgewater, they can draft another guy because there are lots of young quarterbacks available in the next couple of years of drafting and maybe the trade for Aaron Rodgers. So um, I think Denver as a whole, I feel very good about. And, and I only feel good because Teddy looks like he gives them a real shot to win this year. And if they fall short, at least they weren't terrible at quarterback and they can replace him next year. Okay, Austin. Final question today. Austin says, hey, Zach, Dolphins fan here. I'm not from Miami or even Florida. I drove about 10 hours to watch the Dolphins play this week. Number one, the stadium was beautiful. The flyover was cool. I bought a Tua jersey and was in row six in the end zone. However, it was nothing but downhill from there. I got to watch Tua play about eight snaps and still have never seen the Dolphins score at home. I don't know whether to be incredibly angry or sad. I feel the offensive line was merely out there just for formal purposes, and the offense in general was just a formality. Drop passes, bad pocket presence when there was one. How can the Dolphins turn this around, or do you think that it was one bad game? Also, any advice for lifelong fans who go to watch their team for the first time at home and they lose, or in my case, get blown out? Thanks, Austin. I, I, I don't want to read this because I, I think it's brutal what's happening. And I wonder, did Tua getting hurt deflate the football team? Was there a, a shift in energy? Did they not think they could win? I don't know. But I, I all I can really respond to Austin with here is to say this. I... This is exactly why I do not have a favorite team. It's the heartache. There's too much heartache. And I remember for years wanting the Seattle Mariners to be a good baseball team and getting gutted every time I rooted for them. And every offseason, they traded away people I liked and got worse and worse. And I was a Seattle Sonics fan. They left to go to Oklahoma City. And Seattle didn't have a basketball team anymore. And I was just like, I can't do this anymore. And so I just encourage anyone, it's way more fun to watch football when you just want good football than when you want a certain team to win. When you're rooting for an outcome, it's really painful. When you're rooting for, and I even get hurt with this when I want players to do well. Like, I want Tua to do well, and Tua hasn't done well. That hurts. It sucks. But at least I'm not invested in the team doing well also. So, um, I, like, honestly, my advice would be don't have a favorite team. And I know I don't, I, I know it's not realistic for a lot of people. They're enmeshed. They have this relationship with the team they can't get rid of. But if you can... Shake yourself with that relationship. Do it in a heartbeat because watching football is way more fun when you're not trying to have one team win over the other. It's just it's better when you're just saying I, all I want is competitive, interesting finishes. I and mean, when you're rooting for you know a close game at the end that's interesting, that's going to happen way more often than having a team you love necessarily win football games. Unless you're like a Kansas City fan or a Patriots fan for years or Tom Brady fan, like you know what I mean. I just I think it's more fun to look at football and say, all they want is a good game. And from that point, like, even, even then, the Bills 35 to nothing destruction of Miami was uh, not an interesting game. But I, 
I just, I don't know, man. I, I really don't understand why people have a favorite team. It seems like too much heartache and too much pain. All right, guys, that's all I have. Uh, thank you so very much for tuning in. I love you. I appreciate you. Um, I will see you hopefully tomorrow. We'll talk. I got some stuff I'm watching. I'm not going to say any more than that. I love you. I appreciate you. But um, bum, bam, we are done.